What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Planeswalkers Anonymous, the magic podcast all about the weirdest creature types in the game. So, if you or anyone in your life shares our obsession with Flux Charger or Petra Hydrox, we are here for you. We won't rehabilitate you, but we're going to have a lot of fun. I'm Duncan, rocking up to my LGS in an Is It Tea with Donovan. So, Donovan, what's your guild? Um, well, I generally play uh, Golgari, but Izzet's definitely my favorite guild just from a culture and a people. As uh, Golgari, what you've been playing in uh, your M21 stuff? No, I've been playing uh, Gruul. If not Gruul, then die. But um, I guess my mono green deck fits in the Golgari color pie, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, but I was really trying to segue into asking you like, what magic stuff you've been doing this last week. Yeah, I was talking about what decks I've been playing. Oh, well, I'm sorry. sorry. I thought tell us about like the mm-hmm. pre-release and do some like arena stuff with Corset. Yes. I'm sorry, Don. Why don't you tell me about the magic that you want to tell me about? <laughs> I will stop trying to organize the show. Uh, I'm the worst. So yeah, I've been playing around within 21 some. We played ourselves a little pre-release here at your place. Yeah, I got wrecked. Yeah, you and I played the same deck because it was sealed, so, you know, no competing drafting. Yep. And uh, I managed to come out on top. My Caravec the Spiteful beat out your Massacre Worm. Oddly. Yeah, it really did. Like, <laughs> as far as those two cards go to get, like, head-to-head, like, the Massacre Worm will win every time. Right. But, but got a lot more long-term advantage yeah, of having the Caravec. I managed to play my Caravec around your Massacre Worm, and then Caravec's just static ability was more impactful, I think. Yep. I basically was playing uh, Massacre Worm and Garrick's Harbinger, the deck. <laughs> I had a... You had a Fierce Empath to go get your Massacre Worm? Yeah, and that was pretty cool. And I don't think I ever did... Oh, well, maybe I did do that once against you, but... Yeah, I think you did one game. Yeah, that was pretty great for a sealed deck to have that synergy in there. Yeah, it was so weird. We were both playing black green and we had like no removal in either of our pools <laughs> as, other than like these creatures. Yep, but, I had some death touch and uh, I had a the little board wipe. Yeah. Pestilence or something. Is it that. pestilent haze? Is it? It is. It is pestilent haze. Why do we even question it whenever I guess card name? <laughs> You're right. We shouldn't. I'll throw out a card name. I'm like, is it this? And then, like, we like go look it up, and like, yeah, it is. And it always is. It's like, why did we even question it? Just accept that I'm right. Saves everybody some time. But you know, that'd be useful advice in general. Just accept that Donovan's right. <laughs> that saves everybody some time. But yeah, so I did that, and then I've played some on Arena. I've mostly been playing just my aggro decks. I've been playing just with some scavenging news thrown in there. But I've also been trying out some decks with frantic inventory because I have not done very well on Limited on Arena, so I don't have that many of the new cards yet. But frantic inventory is a comment, so okay. I could craft a bunch of them and try out some frantic inventory decks. Sure. How about you? Well, I we just talked about my little pre-release sealed deck, right? And that was fun. Um, I actually felt like it was one of my better sealed decks. Is unfortunately you had the same deck, and you're better than I am. <laughs> Got him. But I have I haven't got to play much on Arena this week, so I haven't done anything with the new cards on there. I did want to remind everyone that uh, play M twenty one is the code right now. Get you some free yeah, packs. Um, I tried to guess it before I before I'd opened any packs and I couldn't figure it out. But <laughs> oh, what, what did you try? Because I well, M is not in the set's name anywhere, right? Sure. So I tried play twenty twenty one, play core twenty twenty one, play core twenty one, play mm. core set twenty twenty one. 
you know, like, yeah, I tried to play around with like, you know, words and letters that are in the set's name, like fool. See, what's funny is I probably would have guessed it because I keep calling the set M21, whether that's what it's called or not. I keep doing it. So yeah, Yeah, I would have guessed it. Even though I'm wrong, I would have got it right. You know, Magic 2011, the M2011 was what the set was called. And whenever they brought back core sets, they decided to call it Core Set 2018 instead of Magic 2018. Yeah. But it still, it kept the same set symbol format that they'd had with M11 and stuff like that. And people still called it M11, M18, and M19, you know? Like, I think it was actually M19. Yeah, M19 was the one where they brought it back. I don't think it's unreasonable to be play in 21. I just, I did not guess that at all. Sure. But, you know, not the set's name. Yep. So I've got, I've got to get on and use that code at some point here soon. And I got a code for my pre-release I can use to get some more free packs. So that'll be fun. Yeah. And once I open up my backup pre-release kit that I bought, cause I like to get two of them, I will have a backup code from that, that I'll be putting in our discord for one of our listeners who's in our Patreon and in our discord to go on there and snag up six arena packs. Very cool. Like, that is one benefit of being a patron and a member of our Discord is stuff like that. Anytime it's available, we'll pop it in there. Well, is there anything else that's going on this last week? Well, we had a Red Bull Untapped Italy, and I was oh, looking yeah. at the top eight for that tournament, and there was zero Teamer Rec, which I just loved. Yeah, I was surprised by that. Any idea why Team Rec didn't show up? Was it uh, played a lot less, or did it just perform that? Well, I think this is just goes to show what I was trying to say about the Players Tour events, mm-hmm. about how they are kind of an inbred meta with the pros only playing like the best deck. Right. When you have a more open field, I think that actually lends towards those decks that beat the best deck to actually do a little bit better. Sure. Because, yeah, sure, there is a more varied field, and you have to worry about that a bit more, and you can't do as much just targeted hate from your deck. But when you play up against the person playing that deck, you're not playing against the best player in the world playing that deck, and you're playing a deck that you haven't had as much experience on because it's not as popular a deck or something, you know? Yeah. Just I think that the more open field also lends more towards the people that are willing to risk it on the deck that beats Team Rec because... They're like, oh, well, I'll risk it on this because this is not as big a deal, you know? Sure. Well, I think it's cool. It did end up getting taken down by a Bant control deck, which is run a bunch of the same cards. I mean, he still runs Gross Spiral and Uro, which are talked about as being some of the best cards in the, the meta right now. Yeah. But that was piloted by, it's like, David Tedeschi. Yeah. And so I don't want to steal any of the limelight from that. But when I was looking at the top eight, there's this uh, Orzov Doom deck. Yeah, that I thought was really cool. Yeah, it's kind of nice to see Doom Foretold back in events. Yep, uh, Doom Foretold, and then just a whole bunch of stuff that exiles cards and things with Enter the Battlefield triggers, and then it's got Yorion and Kaya, or Zavu Surper, and mm-hmm. it just seems like it's probably a cool deck, maybe a fun deck to play. I like that list. Yeah, I've been running into this actually quite a bit on Arena these days. Yeah. Although I think I actually more often see a um, Yorion Companion version. Oh, actually, I think this one is. I think they just yeah. listed it weird on their website. My mistake, because it's yeah, got we've... four Yorions in the main deck and one in the sideboard in there. Yeah, we've got our here. deck list this week from Etherhub, rather than we've been using MTGA Zone ever since Channel Fireball shut down. CFB events shut down. Yeah, but MTGA Zone didn't 
didn't do an article on the top eight for this event. So, but I do like their deck list thing. Like, it works really well for like you can hover over the card and see it and stuff. Like, I yeah, yeah, it looks good. Thing they have is pretty cool. And then um, there's two copies of Jun Sacrifice, two copies of Red Deck Wins, and even a copy of White Weenies in the top eight of that. Yeah, I think Red Deck Wins and White Weenies are supposed to be a couple of the decks that beat up on Team of Reclamation, and then Jun Sacrifice is one of those decks that's supposed to beat up on those decks. <laughs> okay. So we got our rock, paper, scissors meta there, and it seems like scissors just didn't make it into the top eight. Yep, looks like it. Is scissors the best one in rock, paper, scissors? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I think the whole the concept is that they're equal, so... Oh, okay, okay. But that was Red Bull Untapped, the Italy qualifier. Was anything else going on this last weekend, or should we go ahead and talk news? Yeah, good to get into the news. I don't know of any other events that were going on... Your daily newspaper. One of the things I want to cover in the news is uh, I wanted to bring up the Noah Bradley issue again because we talked about it a little bit last week and we didn't actually get any listener email or anything about this. But I think a lot of our listeners, maybe because I thought this when I was listening back to it, thought I wasn't taking this as seriously as some of our other uh, scandals. Yeah in our community, and I definitely don't want to suggest that, like, this guy's mistreatment of women is less significant than any of the other social issues that we've talked about on the show. I think what it comes down to is we've had a bunch of it going on, like, you know, just various social scandals, and then we've got major social justice issues in our national conversation right now, and none of that means that this should or shouldn't be less important. It's just that, you know, you get overwhelmed with stuff, you know, and it gets harder and harder. You know what I mean? And so I do think Yeah, this you're is a bad person. Though. Got it. Okay, fine. <laughs> I'll cut that. Jeez. No, I'm I'm kidding. Like everybody I think feels that way. Yeah. There's sometimes a lot of pressure socially to not feel that way. And I was trying to reflect that. Yeah, no, I'm no, you it's fine. It's fine. I just I just want to point out to our listeners that I do think this is just as important. I don't want to think it's any less important but i just want to acknowledge it gets exhausting and it looks like uh watsi and also fantasy flight games have both decided to sever ties with noah bradley and i think that that is an appropriate thing to do like he seems awful yeah it's like i think when this came out last week we didn't know as much about it and Mm -hmm. more stuff has come to light and it seems like yeah this guy seems to have been really bad yeah and i don't want to downplay that any even if I was, like, last week, I think I was kind of saying, like, oh, I don't care about this thing everyone's talking about. But it wasn't that I thought Noah Bradley was okay. It was the specific thing that I was seeing a lot last week. The more important stuff regarding the way he's treated women is important and awful. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think it... And this week, Watsy put out a statement saying that they weren't going to be using him anymore. They also did point out in their statement that... It is not logistically reasonable to expect them to be able to pull all of his artwork that is currently in production for sets that haven't come out yet. But, you know, they're printing stuff right now for sets that won't come out for, like, two years. So, yeah. So it's, like, it's going to take a bit before his art filters out. Because, like, that guy who did the Invoke Prejudice or whatever, he hadn't Mm -hmm. done anything for Wizards for years whenever they banned the Invoke Prejudice and stuff like that, and so they didn't have to worry about pulling his art from future sets. Right. But, like, with Noah Bradley, like, he he was a 
current active magic artist. And so there's probably going to be some cards in the next couple sets, at least, that have mm -hmm. his name on them. He was a prolific artist for magic. He did a lot of cards. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we're probably in the next couple of sets, we probably will see more Noah Bradley cards, but that's because those were created before they cut off Noah Bradley. So don't yeah. be surprised if you see more of his artwork in the near future, but he won't be with WotC anymore. Uh, or, like, like I said, Fantasy Flight Games as well. Speaking of people and uh, poor behavior issues and stuff like that. Yeah. Twitch Blackout. Did you hear about this one? Yeah, I did. Although I didn't actually hear. I don't think I heard anything about it from in like the magic community, but I do a podcast about video game stuff. And uh, apparently recently some prominent Twitch people were advocating that we take a break from Twitch as a protest against the fact that they don't seem to moderate their content like almost at all. And there's stuff like some people have done like spousal abuse on Twitch streams and things like that. Yeah, and some people say that they don't do anything about people spouting racist and homophobic. Yep, that's true. Content. And so like a lot of people were calling for people to just not stream on Twitch, don't watch Twitch on Wednesday of last week just to yeah. try and show Twitch how many people care about the cause, you know? Right. Which is unfortunate for Magic because Wizards had already scheduled their early access streamers event for that day. But Ouch. honestly, I don't think that this movement really gained a lot of traction and a lot of people didn't know about it because I didn't hear about it until Tuesday afternoon before the event. And so like, yeah, I didn't watch Arena or anything like that on Wednesday, which is unfortunate because that's what I usually have playing at work all day long while I'm inventorying cards and stuff like that. Yeah. But I didn't. And so I didn't get to watch the early access event on Arena. And for those of you who don't know what that is, is before the set comes out, they give a bunch of popular streamers and stuff accounts that have just ridiculous amounts of gems and gold and stuff to basically play whatever they want with whatever cards they want and whatever format they want for a whole day with early access to the new set and stuff like that to just play around with yeah. the new set. And in the past, they've always done it a little bit more in advance than the day before that it released on Arena. <laughs> but that's what they were doing this time around is just the day before release. And I, I didn't get to watch it, so I don't know how it went. But I, I know a lot of people ignored this event, and I think that's unfortunate. And I hope that it you know, garnered the support it needed. Yeah, uh, me too. I think I wasn't paying particular attention to it, but not because I didn't think it was good, but just because, honestly, I don't actually spend very much time watching Twitch. So I saw that this was happening, and I just kind of assumed, like, yeah, I'm probably not going to be watching Twitch that day anyway. <laughs> I can guarantee that I did not. So... You know, it just wasn't something that I had much to contribute to, but I, I agree with the the movement. Just hopefully Twitch noticed, you know? Yeah, that's the important part, because it's not like they wanted to hurt Twitch's bottom line or hurt any streamers or anything like that. Mm -hmm. They just wanted enough people to participate in the event that Twitch noticed that people cared. Right. And hopefully that happened. Yeah, yeah. But um, I guess speaking of Arena... Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> Nice. We got the June update for the State of Arena, and it seems to have a, a, quite a bit of stuff in it, but most of it we've covered before. That, like, Corset is coming, it's got dogs in it, we've got Arena on Mac, and then there's some information about how the upcoming rotation is going to change playing Standard on Arena. Yeah, and I think every time they do one of these State of the Game things that mentions a rotation, like they did one last year, yeah. uh, it just baffles me how many people don't understand how rotation works. <laughs> because they, they say stuff on here, I'm like, yeah, that's how rotation works. But right. it's just, like, I read it and I'm like, you know what, I, I think that, you know, me coming from a 
point of having played this game for 20 years and having paid attention whenever they made the changes and stuff like, like that. Making this game your career. Yeah. And so it's like, I just need to check myself and be like, yeah, not everyone is as this keyed into what is going on at Wizards, I guess. Right. And I think the arena is a good jumping in point for a lot of players who don't Place for play them to jumpstart their <laughs> magic playing. Sure. But since they got their jumpstart on arena, they don't know how any of this works because they're, they're new to playing magic entirely, but they might be paying attention to arena updates. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I don't think this is unreasonable stuff for them to say, like talking about how rotation works and stuff like that. But then also they do go into some stuff about how they're going to be limiting the cards that are going to rotate in the fall on your mm -hmm. like individual card rewards and on drafts and stuff like that over the next three months. Yeah. Uh, and they, they had some like collation and reprint information in here that I think we've talked about before, right? Oh, that was one that I thought was really good that I, I was actually talking to somebody about it just the other day about how it's unfortunate for me if I open a, another copy of Fabled Passage in Core 2021 because I already have four from Throne of Eldraine. Yeah. But I was just thinking, like, it's okay. Like, I, they're, they're cards I don't have to craft, so they will save me on wild cards. But they actually, they're updating it so that uh, if the card is a full reprint, as they call it, i.e. it's got the same name and same artwork, then mm -hmm. it'll be treated like a banned card whenever you're opening packs and you won't open any of it if you already have four of them, unless you've already got four of every other card in the set. Right. And so I think that's really cool because... I You know, I don't need another copy of Temple of Epiphany. And it's going to count them across sets. So like, if you have two copies of Fabled Passage from Throne of Eldraine and two copies from Corset 2021, then it will stop giving you Fabled Passages. Oh, I actually didn't see that. That's cool. Yeah. And so I just, I think that that's a really cool update and I think that'll be useful. And there's nothing to stop you from crafting the new one if for whatever reason you like to have the newest copy of the card. Yeah. And then I think a few minutes ago, we tried to make a silly transition to jumpstart from Arena, but then we went off into collation stuff. Yeah, so, whatever. But we talked about the... Well, our jumpstart conversation got jumpstarted and now we're going to actually get into it, okay? Right. And last week, we talked about how they're planning to make some of the jumpstart cards out for Arena and put different cards in it for Arena. And then we were going to hear more about it with the state of the game. And we did. We found out exactly what they're taking out and what they're replacing it with. We talked about why and stuff last week, and I think that hasn't changed any, really. We don't have any new information about the why. But some of their choices are weird. Yeah, some of them are weird. And I think most of them, I think, for the most part, were just cards that already existed in Historic. So they didn't have to program new cards. Yeah. But yeah, it's interesting. I think it's really funny that Chain Lightning and Lightning Bolt both got replaced with Lightning Strike. So there should just on Arena just be a crap ton of Lightning Strikes in the uh, Jumpstart packs. Yeah. Some stuff's pretty reasonable, like Time to Feed got replaced with Prey Upon. It's just a different kind of fight effect that's not going to gain you life. Sure. Simpler for them to program, I guess. Ristic Study got replaced with Teferi's Ageless Insight, which is still like an enchantment that draws you extra cards. So I guess it's pretty similar, but the way they work is completely different. But then there's some stuff like Goblin Lore got replaced with Goblin Oraflame, which is just completely different as far other than the fact that they both have goblin in their name and they're two mana like one yep. of them draws you cards and the other one pumps your attacking creatures <laughs> yeah but I, I think what i was saying about that one they're just it's a card in the goblin packs and you know they're probably 
have like a similar power level, and neither one of them is a creature, you can cast them on the same turn. So like, yeah, they're doing different things, but I don't think that that's really going to affect the structure of deck building or the format and stuff. Yeah. But the one that really was bonkers to me was we mentioned Thought Scour last week. Is like, oh, I wonder why they didn't want to put this in. And yeah. they're taking it out. They're replacing it with Weight of Memory. And the reason why I'm going like, what the heck about this But they one both is... draw cards and mill players. That's true, but Thought Scour is a one-mana instant at common. And Weight of Memory is a five-mana sorcery. And so I assume it's going to go in for the same... Like, if it's just replacing Thought Scour, it's going to be a common blue spell, right? Which, this is... Totally, like, you cannot replace your Thought Scours with Weight of Memories. Yeah, like, you'd rather it be, like, up, right? Yeah, with, like, not, I'm not even saying, like, oh, you can't do that because they, they don't do the similar enough stuff. Like, that's true with your Goblin lore, right? It's like, you don't just replace Goblin lore with Goblin Aura Flamming your deck, but, I mean, you can build a deck the same way, basically. You know, it's just on turn two, I'm playing this enchantment rather than this sorcery. Mm Mm-hmm. But, like, you can't turn one a weight of memory or throw a weight of memory in at the end of your opponent's turn because you have that mana up still. This is yeah, just... this card's a lot more weighty, you might say. Yeah, but it's... I don't know. To me, that was a really weird one. Yeah. That's the one that broke my brain. <laughs> a lot of these are weird, but, you know, what can you do? Some of these cards are hard to program or their power level just didn't feel yeah. right. Yeah, so, like, I'm not complaining that they made changes to jumpstart putting it on Arena, that's fine. It's just, it would seem to me like what you replace the cards with, what you need to keep in mind is, like, you know, what does the set need rather than what does the card do? You know what I mean? Yeah. Which is, I think, why I'm way more comfortable with the Goblin one than the Thought Scour one, right? But, I don't know. Maybe I'm just crazy. Maybe. Maybe. There's, you can go on look at the whole list of the cards that they swapped out if you want mm-hmm. but i think that's about all that we had to say there the next thing they had was the brawlers guild hall yeah they're just gonna make brawl a, a format you can play whenever now they were worried apparently that if they made brawl a format you could play people would stop playing standard and with the brawlers guild hall being free they found out it's like oh you mean people still like other formats this is not the only format people play whenever nobody even plays this format in paper i was like how were you worried that nobody play other formats if this was available when nobody plays this format in paper i guess you know they're the ones who have the analytics on this and stuff and so i guess people must like brawl because you know, I, people no like one... commander and it's the closest thing you can get to it on arena is what it is yeah but it's dumb (laughs) people are allowed to like this i just it's hard for me to believe that there are people playing this format oh yeah people play it all the time i mean maybe it's just because i don't have a whole lot of cards on arena but it just seems to me like maybe historic brawl would be a thing maybe but it just doesn't well they're not letting letting people just play historic brawl they want yeah i know they're worried that it'll mean nobody plays regular I know! Freaking mind-blowing here is the historic brawl, to me, seems like it has potential. But regular brawl being a standard format, you know, or like using the same card pool as standard, is like too limiting. But that's fine. I, I'm, I'm sure that we, well, I'm not sure that we have listeners, but <laughs> I'm sure that we have listeners who enjoy brawl, and more power to you guys. I, I don't. 
But uh, what do you think of their changes to the deck builder? It's super annoying. Oh, why is that? Because they have this expert search term that pops up anytime you hover over the search box, and it oh. blocks your view of the cards you're trying to look at, and it does not provide any information I didn't already have, because I had known about most of these things already. Mm-hmm. But it, no, it's a great feature. I think they should have implemented it in a way where it's not every time you hover over the search bar, it blocks your view of what you're trying to look at. Yeah. But it, it is a great feature. That it's like, hey, look, here's some stuff that you can put in here to search. Because like a lot of people didn't know that you could look at like which cards you have four of and which cards you don't have four of and stuff like that. Yeah. The way this works is like you can type capital Q equals four into the search bar on Arena, right? And it'll show you cards that you have four of. Unless they changed it, I don't think that's case sensitive. Oh, okay. Well, it may not be case sensitive. But I, yeah. I haven't experimented with it. I, I never capitalized it when I was using it. But yeah. Okay. Alright, so it's like Q equals 4, and it'll show you all the cards you have 4 of. Yeah. Or C is greater than 1, and it'll show you all yeah, your gold cards. Multicolored cards, yeah. Well, I thought it was, I did not know that you could use this shorthand stuff in the search bar on Arena. So Yeah, I didn't know every single one of these symbols, but I'm just was complaining because I'm a complainer. Yeah, well, it does sound annoying. Like, my mouse sometimes drifts whenever I'm not... Like, I'll move my hand without really paying attention, and all of a sudden this box pops up blocking all the cards I'm trying to read. I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. I kind of wish it was just, like, a, a menu you could click on or something, and it would pop open. Yeah, it'd, it'd be good if there was just, like, a little exclamation point next to the search bar or something. You can click that, and it opens up this window. Yeah, but it's great features, and I'm glad that they made it more available for people sure i think the only other thing that i thought was really important from this stuff was it said that almond remastered is coming out in august for arena yeah yeah so it'd be like over 300 new cards for historic right yeah that's cool i think the only other thing that i had from the news though is uh you hear about this new planeswalker uh no i didn't we got a new planeswalker in magic oh well not in magic so, oh. thing is, <laughs> magic is, like, a big enough deal that it's spread into, like, other media, you know? Mm-hmm. And there's actually been some, like, Magic the Gathering-inspired music in the past. Like, the big one is The Gathering, and this article that we'll have linked in our show notes, as usual, mentions that there's a metal band, I think, I might get the name wrong, but I think they're called Acacia Strain, have a song called Doomblade that's inspired after, you know, Doomblade from Magic. Yeah. But... The cool thing is there's a, a new metal band, not new metal, they're actually, I think, power metal, but a new power metal band, and their name is Planeswalker, and their whole thing is that their songs are inspired by magic, and their newest song, I think their first song, is called The Forever Serpent, and it's about Nicol Bolas. Yeah, um, you know, just another uh, instance of Nicol Bolas spreading his power and influence into other realms. He's creeped into ours now. He started to gather followers as he does. Yep. And it just goes to show that even if he's trapped in the prison realm without his powers or whatever, he's still spreading discord and well, spreading his... Discord. The, the music actually seems pretty good. <laughs> Not discordant. He's spreading his power and manipulating peoples even from where he's in, at in the prison realm. So you gotta watch out for that guy. I just thought that was a kind of a fun light thing to, that we could mention. I watched some of their video. I mostly just listened to it while I was doing some other things. But they had an Inferno Titan play mat in one of the images. And I've actually got that mat for sale on my uh, shelves at Vorp. So if you see that Inferno Titan mat and you want one. Come and see us about it. The first person who gets there can get it. You know, I can't, like, get more of them, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought it was kind of a fun video. It's, it's 
almost a bit silly the way they, uh, they're pretty dramatic with their magic playing in the video, but they actually are playing magic in the video, and I thought that that was cool. And pretty much wraps up our news. Donovan, do you think that you want to, uh, pick through your mustache, see if there's any tidbits left over from your big meal of finance that you do for work? This metaphor is falling apart. Yeah, I'll see if I can scavenge something out of that ooze. Anyway, finance. Huzzah! Uh, finance, huzzah! Yes. They didn't even need any money. They had magic cards. So it looks like some like modern staple cards are uh, on a downward turn right now. Path to Exile and Tarmogoyf being examples. And Path to Exile just got a jumpstart reprint, so that doesn't help with its price any. Right. Well, that means if you want to pick up some of these staples, it's a good time for you. But yeah, it's, that's what I'm saying. Is like, I think we mentioned this at the beginning of the pandemic. We were saying, like, hey, as this goes on, some of these paper cards are going to get a lot lower than you're used to. And I think Modern especially is feeling it because used to there was a Modern season of tournaments over the summer that they would yeah. do because they didn't want to push too hard on Standard right before rotation. So they would kind of push sure. modern a little bit more at the, starting about now. And that would really like give these modern cards a price boost because everybody needed them for their events, but probably yeah. not going to see that this year. So like as the year goes on and into next year and stuff, uh, some of these modern staples are going to be a lot more than you might be used to because we're not going to have that big price spike in the middle of the summer this year. Yeah, and I think that even if people weren't picking them up to play in their own events over the summer, like, when the, when the modern events are going on, and that's what the coverage is showing, then that's, you know, what people are thinking about playing at home and stuff. Yeah. Whereas right now, all of the coverage is on Arena. That means it's standard only. Yeah, and just another card that I just noticed because uh, somebody was, was looking at selling them to me this week. Mm -hmm. The new scavenging news copies, they're like two bucks. And cards got quite a few printings now, so it may never be expensive again. But it's just yeah. a really, really good card, and it's yeah. it's two dollars. So I suggest going out and getting some scavenging oozes. They're going to be yeah. in standard for the next little over a year, you know. Mm -hmm. And I do not have enough of them because I want to play them in Legacy, Modern, Pioneer, and now I'm going to need them for standard for the next year. So just like yeah, and you know, even if you aren't playing them in every single deck like Donovan is, it might be a good <laughs> idea to just have some scavenging oozes laying around for your sideboard. Because it can be real powerful yeah, it there, can, too. Yeah, it can be a good sideboard card. It's one of those cards I think is such a good sideboard card because of the different the different decks that it attacks that I think... Just main deck I just main deck card. the Scavenging Ooze because it just it's yeah. so good against I mean, so many different dead. decks. It's just good in different ways sometimes, you know? Yeah. And yeah, worst case scenario, you have a 2-2 bear. And that's not good, but that that is the absolutely worst case scenario. It's like somebody has a rest in peace in play and you have to play your Scavenging Ooze as a 2-2. Sure. But that rest in peace is another sideboard card. Yeah. Woohoo! For Actually, so it's not much foreshadowing when people have probably already seen the episode title and know what we're talking about this week. <laughs> I think it's good to have uh, topical finance advice, you know? Oh yeah, definitely. I, I wasn't criticizing you, I was just like, I was about to be like, ooh, the foreshadowing is actually, it's not. Oh hey, thing, did we though, mention that Chandra Spellbook came out this week? Have we mentioned that? No, I didn't even know that that oh, happened. Yeah. I know we talked about Chandra Spellbook. Yeah. Chandra Spellbook came out this week, and if you need a Chandra Torch of Defiance, this is a good way to pick one of those up. We're going to work it into the finance section here. Fantastic. Where should one go to pick up a Chandra Spellbook? Chandra Spellbooks, you can get them at your local game store. My favorite local game store is Boardwalk Games. I might be a bit biased because, uh, you know, I work, own that establishment. 
You work on it? Yep. What does work on it? It's a thing that makes more sense in text when you can see the slash. Ah. But Chandra Spellbook, it's pretty cool. I think you and I were talking about how it's almost a home run. They just fell short and hit the wall a little bit by uh, putting the wrong artwork on Young Pyromancer there. Yeah. The Spellbook's got some cool stuff in it. You know, I think we went over it in a previous episode, but it's got a cool Pyroblast, Rite of Flames, Chandra Torch of Defiance, Young Pyromancer, Past in Flames, Fiery Confluence. Oh, man, I was just rattling these off from memory. Cathartic Reunion. There should be one more. Pyromancer's Ascension. Yes, that's the one I missed. Dang it, I was... I almost got there in time to, to get it in before you got there. Oh, man, I was so close. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a pretty cool thing. Um, a lot of those cards have been good in various formats over the years, and it's a good way to get yourself a copy of Chandra Torch Defiance and some other good magic cards. Yeah, if you think that's what you got on the finance section. Yeah, Pyroblast is another good sideboard card. So after the break, we'll come back with some more talk about sideboarding. Yeah, let's do that. During the final years of the reign of Derry, I joined an expedition crossing the mountain ranges of Keldon. We were delivering supplies to Snowden forts along the border. The avalanche came out of nowhere. That's how I found myself buried in snow and having my face licked by a massive rescue dog. Alpine watchdogs can search a hectare of mountainside in about 30 minutes. 20 humans using avalanche poles take 4 hours to cover the same ground. The speed is vital as 90% of avalanche victims will survive if discovered in the first 15 minutes, barring serious trauma. This number drops to 30% after half an hour, and just 10% after 2 hours. That's why Alpine Watchdogs are a vitally important safety element of our national parks. Don't let the king cut funding for our Alpine watchdogs. Write to your local representative. It's not particularly effective in a monarchy, but surely it can't hurt. We hope. So, I'm a fan of supporting anything that supports dog. Oh, yeah? I don't know if dog labor is something I should be supporting, but... As far as I know, they treat the dogs great, and uh, it's a great help to the community. So, Yeah, definitely. I think that the dogs are much loved, and that they really do serve an important role in, in keeping people safe and healthy. And So that's kind of ideal. Right? Yeah, I think so. We, we should probably go back to our main topic, right? No, our side topic, I think, is what we were talking about today. Oh, that's right, because it's sideboarding, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, I think that you're going to have to carry this one, Don, because to be honest, I'm bad at sideboarding. I think I just don't really show it enough respect. I think it comes from learning to play Magic the way I did and the fact that I've never gotten seriously into playing Magic tournaments. Yeah. But back when we started playing, we didn't know that there were such thing as tournaments, and so we didn't play with tournament rules, and we didn't have sideboards at all. So what I think is interesting is that we didn't, but like... Once we went to a few tournaments and we found out about them, we incorporated sideboards into our just our casual decks at home, though. Uh, some of us did. I remember there was a period of time, I think in particular Daniel, our older brother, started building sideboards for his deck, and the rest of us hadn't done it for the most part. And so there was this interesting kind of insular culture thing among just the group that we played in, where it was the etiquette of our group that... If your opponent had a sideboard, then you were allowed to use your sideboard. 
But if not, then you weren't allowed to use your sideboard. Yeah. Which is interesting to me because, you know, that doesn't work unless everyone is just... I mean, I still do that at FNM. Like, if my opponent doesn't have a sideboard, I probably won't sideboard. I mean, there's a couple of times where I'm like, hey, man, like, I'm sorry, but, like, I very much intended to lose to your style of deck game one and then sideboard in these cards, so I kind of feel like I have to. But for the most part, like, if I'm just playing with somebody and, like, they just don't have a sideboard, I'm like, whatever, I won't play with the sideboard, it's fine. (laughs) Yeah, I think that comes from our group. I don't think that is a thing across the Magic community. Yeah. I don't know, you have played with a lot more groups of people than I have. I think it's not a thing that has commonly come up. A lot of groups either have sideboards or they don't have sideboards boards there's not a lot of that mixture but i think whenever you do have that mixture of groups a lot of the people do kind of take that kind of tactic of if you don't have a sideboard then i won't either yeah but that's how we played back in the early days and i think for me i since i never really got into going to tournaments and stuff like i never graduated out of that and basically since you know if i didn't want to build a sideboard for my deck no one i was playing against would have one for theirs it just wasn't an issue that i considered most of the time yeah Because for me, playing Magic is primarily about building decks, and then actually playing the game against other people is just kind of this unfortunately necessary part of evaluating whether or not your deck is good. (laughs) I think I kind of take a similar tack to you about that, but I do also just really enjoy the pitting myself against my opponent aspect of it too. But what I really do find a lot of fun a lot of times whenever it comes to like, I, I guess I play Magic for a couple of different reasons. I play to, to compete, and I'll play pretty standard list for that sometimes. But whenever I'm mm-hmm. just playing with a deck that I've brewed up, the real fun is seeing whether or not it works. Yeah. So I get that. But I think that if you're really serious about playing Magic, and like you want to be successful at tournaments, I think that sideboarding is actually one of the most valuable skills you can cultivate. That is going to be important for way more games of Magic than I think people really consider. Yeah, it's something that I hadn't really thought about whenever somebody first mentioned it to me, but something you had in your notes here. The fact that if you're playing sideboarded games, like if Mm -hmm. you're playing matches where you have sideboards, you play more sideboarded games than not, is not a thing I had really ever considered, because it seems the other way around, because you always start off not sideboarded. Right. But really, you you explained it well here. You want to get into it? As you were saying, like, it doesn't feel that way. You do most of your testing without a sideboard. And every match you play, you don't necessarily actually side stuff in and out, right? Mm-hmm. But the thing is, even if you don't choose to make any changes to your deck, your game two is always a post-sideboard yeah. game. So even if you have a perfect record, you go 2-0 every single match of your tournament, then half of your games were post-sideboard games. And if you ever lose a single game, just one match goes two and one, then you're playing more games sideboarded than not sideboarded. And you basically can't have it the other way around. Right. Technically, you can if you have more matches where one player is awarded a game loss than you do matches where you go 2-1. Oh, okay. (laughs) But that should not happen. (laughs) Sure. And most of us don't play with the kind of record that would result this way anyway, you know? You can pretty much make the same argument in reverse, and it's way more realistic for me. It's just more I depressing. Mean, be it's like, the same argument if it's a mixture of two O's and O2s, though. Right. So it's not as depressing if you mix in some O2s to your 2 rather than just saying, oh, well, you O2 every round. Right. But the point being, no matter what your record is, 
the greatest percentage of non-sideboarded games that is possible to play, excepting your weird instance where someone gets, like, game losses every time, Mm -hmm. is 50%. So the typical Magic player playing in tournaments will play significantly more sideboarded games than non-sideboarded games. Yeah. And so that, I think that's just part of what makes your sideboard so important. And then when you're creating a sideboard, for me, when I build a deck, I pretty much just build a 60-card deck. And if I build a sideboard at all for that deck, then I will take my 60-card deck as I designed it and decide what sideboard should I add to this for this event. Mm-hmm. And that's not entirely bad, because your sideboard should be adapted for the event specifically. You shouldn't have like the same sideboard at every event because sideboarding is about knowing the metagame and evaluating like what matchups you're likely to have and which ones you're weak against and that sort of thing. Yeah. But a 60 card deck should be 75 cards. This is all one entity. It's not a separate thing that is your sideboard. And I think a good point to like why that's true no matter what you decide that you want to have in your sideboard to go up against whatever deck you're worried about every card you side in has to have something come out so this all has to be a cohesive entity right yeah it's like your deck and your sideboard have to work together that's an issue that i need to work on for my sideboarding because like i understand that stuff but i don't really do the whole analysis like oh what am i gonna take out in these matchups i do a good a lot of analysis on like what can i put in my sideboard and balance off my sideboard for having cards for these all these different matches you know but i i really need to put a lot more work into actually like going like okay how many cards am i wanting to take out in that matchup because like i don't want to have too many cards or too few cards to side in there and I'll get into matches right. all the time, and I'll be like, well, I want these seven cards, but I only have, like, these three cards that are bad in the matchup. So it's like, what else do I want to take out? And, like, figuring out the balance of how much to actually take out and not, not over-sideboarding and stuff like that. Right. It's, it's kind of, like, I think, another good way to think about this. Though. If, say, your deck is this mid-range creature-based deck, right? Mm-hmm. And you basically don't have any instants and sorceries in your deck. It's, like, all creatures, mm-hmm. right? But you've got some matchup where your sideboard is like five or six instants, right? Like, oh, all these combat tricks or whatever it is, or removal spells, whatever. These are going to be really good in that matchup, right? Mm -hmm. Like, okay, great, that's fine. But if your deck is all about flooding the battlefield with creatures, do you want to take out six creatures to put in all of these spells? Maybe. Maybe you do, because I'm being so vague about what decks we're playing. That might be true, right? Yeah. But... Maybe your deck just doesn't work anymore. Like, these cards are all really good against your opponent, but if you have completely gutted your deck strategy, that's not valuable. Yeah, I think that's all stuff you gotta keep in mind. And so, like, I guess how I approach figuring out what to do for a sideboard? Yeah, you should tell us that, because I don't mind telling our listeners what I do. is I say, Donovan, what are people likely to be playing this week? And then look for some cards that kind of silver bullet against that. (laughs) Yeah, so I kind of build my sideboards... As part of the deck building process, mm-hmm. I do think I do a good job of keeping in mind my deck while I'm doing deck building as a 75 card unit. Yeah. I just don't necessarily do a good job about making the numbers match up between like what I'm taking in and out. Sure. But what I generally do, there's a couple of different things I do. I'll build a deck and if there's not like anything that I really wanted in the deck that I couldn't play, mm-hmm. then I may have an empty sideboard at first. Like I'll, I'll put together the 60 cards and I'll be like, all right, now what do I sideboard? And a lot of times though, what I do though, is I'll have all these cards that I want to play in the deck and I'll have like 70 cards worth of 
cards for my deck and i'm like well this card might be better in the sideboard you know it's like maybe this is actually really better in certain matchups and so we'll, we'll toss it in the sideboard and some of them will just delete and stuff like that and so we end up with you know i've got a 60 card deck and like 10 cards in my sideboard now because like i was like oh these cards are kind of maybe sideboard cards and so i might start with that kind of pool yeah and then i'll go in the sideboard and i'll be like okay what decks am i going to be playing against and that's where i start off is i'm like okay what am i going to play against and i put those cards put cards in like like you were saying about like silver bullet cards for those matchups and we kind of fill it out i try to not be too deck specific whenever i'm starting off on my sideboard where i just build a deck I try to be like archetype based it's like oh are people playing control like what do I want against a control deck with this one and we kind of put that together and then I take the deck out for a spin and I like go play some matches with it and I think this is where like for me I could really get a leg up in tournaments if I got to do more of the play testing at this stage where we really just see like which sideboard cards work and which ones don't which is why on arena since i've been playing a lot more recently i've actually been doing a little bit more of this because i can go play but i can't necessarily play against the decks i want to play against so sometimes i don't get as much testing as i would like so i get matched up against random stuff but that's what i like to do is i take that and i take it and play it and then i when i'm playing those matchups i try and go like okay what is it that is this working do i need to change these cards like is there any cards in my deck that i just don't ever want to cast that could actually maybe be a sideboard card for a, a different match like a lot of times when i play these blue red decks i want to play clear the mind to shuffle my graveyard back into my deck because like i'm drawing so many cards that i'm always like oh man like i've used all of my copies of shock like how am i what am i gonna do now yeah. but like then i go play the de- the matchups and i'll play and i'll be like okay this clear the mind is really bad i should maybe just make this another <laughs> burn spell so that i have more shocks in my deck you know yeah and so we'll We'll take that out. And, but maybe sometimes I'll be like, oh, I really need this clear the mind because there's a mill deck in the format right now. So like I need to have this card so that I can, you know, shuffle my graveyard back in my deck. So we'll, we'll put that in the sideboard, actually. And then we take it back and we go. And then like once I've actually played with the deck some with my like really rudimentary sideboard, that's when I really get into really making a good sideboard. Because I'm terrible at doing it just from here's my deck. What do I need in my sideboard? Sure. And right now, I was, I was trying to look at some of my decks on arenas for like references, but like my green ones, like all have Vivian, and so like I have this wishboard thing going on too. Yeah, I think a couple of the good advice that I've seen from professionals—well, one's advice, the other is just an example. Mm-hmm. I think, oh man, this was back in the day when Cago was the deck, not Cawblade, but the deck before that. I think Brian Kibler said that he wanted to play the deck with four spreading seas in it for a couple of particular matchups, but then other matchups, you know, he didn't want all four of them. So he considers that he wants to have four copies of spreading seas in his 75 cards, Yeah, right? And depending on what he's likely to see at an event, or what he thinks is most likely to show up in the metagame, he may start with more in the main deck or more in the sideboard. Yeah. But he wants to have four total so that it's he's capable of presenting a deck with four spreading season it should the need arise yeah and um, i kind of feel similarly about mystic butte and a lot of blue decks right now yeah is that like a lot of times i i want to have four mystic in my deck because i'm playing counter magic so i need to be able to counter to fairies on turn three and sure. if your opponent is on the play you need to have something you can cast for two or less mana on Teferi, and Mystical Dispute is really great because you can play your Shockland on turn two tapped and still have a Mystical Dispute. And so, like, I want to have four copies of that in my 75 a lot of times. 
And sometimes if, if the cards all end up in the main deck, I may not have four because I'm like, well, three main deck is probably fine. Then I have it all two or three games, you know? But if they end up more in the sideboard, then I actually heavy on that actually having four of them. Or like it's like one in the main deck and then I'll put the three in the sideboard. Or if I don't have any in the main deck, then we'll put all four in the sideboard. But I, I feel kind of similarly about that card. Like it's, it's one of those cards that's a really great card in certain matchups. But it's not just worthless in other ones, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's like, you can put a main deck or you can put them in the sideboard, but it is kind of a sideboard, you know? Yeah, it's just this idea of considering your deck as a 75-card list, and then you're allowed to have up to four copies of each card in that list, and you can move them around depending on your metagame or matchup or whatever. And, like, you could have the same 75 cards for two different events, but start with a different number of a variety of cards in your main deck for the different events. Yeah, like I went to a uh, WPN qualifier in like November or something like that. And I got there and I was just like, you know what? Recently, this Pelt Collector guy in my main deck has just been, he's just been a two mana two two because I haven't been able to mutate him and that's just not good enough. So I'm gonna put him in the sideboard. Like I didn't, I didn't plan to do this before I got there. When I was there, I was looking at my deck and I was just like, you know what? I'm gonna stick these guys in the sideboard instead of the main deck today. And we're gonna stick some of these other cards that were kind of silver bullety cards that are just kind of okay elsewhere. We're gonna stick them in the main deck and just have some silver bullets in our in some of these matchups that I'm expecting to see more. Sure, so it, was, it was interesting. And the other name I wanted to drop on us here is some advice that I think came from Mike Flores, although I I'm not entirely sure about that one. It could have been someone else, but he was actually talking about testing for the Pro Tour, mm-hmm. and he said that when you're testing a deck, the best testing you can do is pre sideboard. Not before sideboard, but like sideboard before you play. Is whatever you're testing against, test your sideboarded games. Because you can lose game one if that happens. Like, you don't want to, but you need to win game two and three. So if they sideboard and you sideboard before you even test, you can get a lot more testing in for the matches that are more important. Oh yeah, that's what I really like to do with my friends whenever we're doing some playtesting. We'll play three or four games unsideboarded just to kind of get a feel for where our decks are at in the matchup with each other, you know? Yeah. And then we'll take sideboards out and we'll play like seven or eight or ten games sideboarded because we just like, we, we, we played a couple of games to, to kind of get a feel for the matchup if one of us didn't know what we wanted to sideboard. And then once we knew, we're like, okay, okay, this is how we're going to sideboard. Let's go try it out. And we'll play some games and we'll play games blindly sideboarded and then we'll play three or four games and we'll be like, okay, like what did you sideboard? Like, so no, you know, even though like we'll seen some of it in the gameplay and we'll like look sure. at like what we actually did sideboard and what the other person sideboarded and how that plays against each other. And it's like, oh, like I didn't know that you took out all of your artifacts in this matchup. So I, I brought in my ancient grudge, but yeah, that dovetails right into the, the other thing that I wanted to bring up and my specific example there. Like the other thing I would suggest keeping in mind again. I'm not good at sideboarding, but I think I understand the concept here. You need to remember that you don't ever play sideboarded games against decks that haven't sideboarded. It's possible that your opponent didn't bring a sideboard, or that they didn't have anything to side against you. But you are in the sideboarded games at that point. Yeah. Because you don't ever show up and play with your deck sideboarded, and your opponent hasn't at least had an opportunity to sideboard. So when you're sideboarding, if you consider that, and think about not just what is in their deck to begin with, like, because you know... Like, what cards did I see, or whatever, you know? Yeah, because you saw some of their cards. Yeah, you gotta think about, 
what are they likely to cite against me? If you're playing a deck that relies heavily on equipment, and you're playing against someone who's playing basically just a red deck, right? And you're like, oh, Sword of War and Peace is going to be really good here, because the protection from red makes their removal irrelevant, and the life gain is really good against these sorts of red decks. But you saw them play Stomping Ground, and so even though their deck seems like it's just straight-up red deck, they're probably citing in Ancient Grudges right now. And your sword might not get there, because when you attack with your suited-up dude, and they play Ancient Grudge and eat your guy then you just got wiped out, and they still have half an Ancient Grudge to play later. Yeah. And sometimes you got to take into account, it's like, okay, in Standard right now with team or Reclamation matchups, if one of your ways of beating them is Counter Magic, keep into mind, like, they're probably going to side in Counter Magic. A lot of them don't have a lot of main deck counter spells other than, like, if you count Aethergust, yeah. but they do have 10 of them in the sideboard quite often. And then some of them will have some main deck in sideboard like everybody has different builds of that deck but i'm just saying there's a lot of times where that deck doesn't have a lot of main deck a lot of counter magic but then post sideboard they're gonna have access to quite a bit of it and so if your plan is to to get into a counter war with them you got to keep in mind how you're gonna win a counter war against a deck that's got as much mana as that one yeah and probably as many counter spells as well. yeah it's because they they side in a lot of counter spells and then every copy of expansion explosion is a copy target counter spell Right. for two mana which is pretty good and so it's like how do you win that counter war it's like oh do you play dovin's because they can't counter that or is it like oh i'm playing all these mystical and at one mana i'll be efficient than them you know sure so you, you just got to get track all that stuff or if you're like okay no i'm not gonna win a counter war i'm just gonna now i'm just gonna counter stuff that they have to tap out for like expansion explosion or if they try to drop an early wilderness reclamation or something like that sure and so i guess we've talked quite a bit about how to figure out what to put in your sideboard I've just kind of yeah. started getting into like how to actual sideboarding sure what i was gonna say is like whenever i'm doing my sideboarding there's a couple of different things that i do sometimes just depending on how i really feel about it mm-hmm. one of them is just like whenever i'm playing a matchup where i'm just oh i have all these cards that are fine here but aren't really amazing in my sideboard you know yeah. i'll just take all those cards stick them in my deck and then i'll go back through my deck and just be like all right what's the worst cards in here now yeah. And sometimes those sideboard cards come right back out and we stick them back in the sideboard. Sure. A lot of times I do that even whenever the cards that I have in my sideboard are good in that matchup because it's like it's kind of the same thing. It's like we stick these in the deck and then now when I'm going through it, it'll be apparent that those are better than other. I'll take something else out. But sometimes I approach it from the other way around where I'm just like, look, this card is really, really bad in this matchup. I just need this out of my deck. And sometimes we take cards out and then we put them in the sideboard and we look at there. It's like, all right, we got 20 cards in our sideboard. We need to get this down to 15. What can we put in our deck? And that's kind of how I like to do it is I like to consider all of the cards that I have and figure out either what's the best 60 to be in my deck right now or what's the worst 15 cards to make sure we don't have in the deck right now. I, yeah. I kind of approach it from those two different axes. I don't do as much of the whole, this card is for this matchup. This card is for this matchup. Yeah. And that's why I don't really like using like sideboard guides and stuff is because I really like having sometimes more general answers in my sideboard maybe than some people do. And so I'll have cards that I'm like, oh, in this person's build of this deck, I actually kind of like this card. I don't really like to have the whole rigid structure to it. But I also think that there's value to having a specific plan, even if you also need to keep in mind that you can adapt yeah, and that's that what plan I think based on what happens. I need to do is I need to do more. I think I mentioned it earlier, like, 
I need to do more playtesting of specific matchups and practice actually figuring out what I need to take in and out of my deck for that matchup mm-hmm. because I, I don't go in with enough structure in mind. And so I'll play a match and I'll play it three times over the course of the tournament and I'll sideboard three different ways. And even if my opponent's deck was exactly the same. Sometimes it's like, I think one of those ways was probably better, and I probably should have done enough playtesting to really know which one was the best way to do it, you know? Yeah, but I think that there's, like, situations like, say, I don't know, like, Anger of the Gods is a card that's in a, in a lot of sideboards, mm-hmm. right? Because, you know, it's, it's just a sweeper that comes down early enough to get under a, a lot of games fundamental turn yeah and say for example it'd be great if i had more specific examples here like if i say uh, this deck and this card Mm -hmm. right but like anger the gods deals three damage to each creature and so if you're playing some decks like maybe you're playing against them they have a lot of little dudes and anger of the gods can sweep the field right but maybe if you knew more about playing against that deck you might realize like okay that's great but in this matchup i actually don't care about all their little dudes it's that one guy with four toughness that I really have to watch out for. So rather than side in anger of the gods, maybe you should be siding in some more targeted removal. Yeah. And so like that sort of thing, I think is what you get from having that specific plan is you'd be like, if you just kind of play a game with someone and go like, Oh man, they really beat me up and they got all these dudes. Anger of the gods would be really good against them. But after getting enough practice, you realize, okay, anger of the gods is good generally against them. But really, if I want to win this matchup... I just need to keep this creature off the field, or something like that. Yeah, like, I I, just, I need my Dismember from my Path to Exile, or whatever. Yeah. Right? Yeah. A lot of times, for me, what I end up doing in my sideboarding is I'm like, okay, this card was bad. Like that that didn't do anything for me. What, what do I have in here that might be more useful than this card? Yeah. And the funny thing is, it'll be the same card in multiple different matchups, and what I need to take from that isn't sideboarding plans, right? It's like, this card does not belong in my deck. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's right on theme, and in a vacuum, this seemed good, but given what everyone else is playing right now, this is just a bad card. Yeah. um... And that's not really to do with sideboarding, but that's something that I experience a lot. I feel you there. That's uh, me with my uh, clear the mind. What do you think of the sideboarding gimmick where you just shuffle your entire 15 in and then go in and take things out, even if you end up taking those same 15 cards back out just to keep your opponent on their toes. Do you think that has value? Yeah, I think it certainly does. I don't think that it is worth all of the extra effort, (laughs) personally, but it does because there is something to hiding from your opponent how much you sideboarded. Yeah. If your opponent's sitting there like glaring you down watching you sideboard, then I 100% recommend doing it. But for the most yeah. part, you're just sitting there with your opponent and like y'all are both sideboarding. You're both mostly focusing on that. Like I try to right. kind of pay attention if my opponent got out 15 cards. Sure. And be like, oh, there there may be some very different things going on in this next game. And I need to keep an eye out on that. Yeah. But generally, if they did that where they shuffled in 15 cards and then go back and take stuff out, then I assume that that's what they're doing. They're not just siding in 15 cards. But sometimes the way they do it, they'll like take 15 cards out put their sideboard in and then set those other cards aside. If I see them do that, I'm like, oh, this may be a different deck now. Yeah. And I think it's worth pointing out, and most people probably have picked up on this, but you can use that method even if you're, like, sideboarding four cards, right? You don't have to, like, put the 15 in and then take them back out. You can put all 15 in and then take out 15 different cards. Like, it could be some from the sideboard originally and some from the main deck originally. Right. And it just hides the number. 
yeah, possibly and, even makes your opponent go like, oh, they don't have a sideboard against me. They're just trying to mess with me. Yeah, so there's a couple things, and that also kind of plays into the kind of style of sideboarding I was talking about, where you just take all the cards that are good here, and you figure out what are the worst ones here. Yeah. And you, it, it can be a way of doing that, is like, you're like, uh, helps you mentally think of it as a 75 card unit and you're like okay which 60 do i want right now sure but gotta be careful doing that because sometimes if i do that i'll be like man i don't want to draw extra lands here let's take out 15 lands no (laughs) (laughs) that would be a lot of your lands right i think that the like just stick 15 cards in your deck and then take 15 out can be good i just am not willing to do that much extra effort just because it's like i gotta go find these cards that i just shuffled in here and take them out now for me the big problem is, like, since I said, like, I usually don't have a sideboard until I've decided, like, oh, for this event, I want to build a sideboard. And so, like, I actually don't know what my sideboard is. Like, I, I did, you know, I picked out the cards and put them in, right? But then if you ask me, hey, what's in your sideboard? But, uh, I know I put in, like, three Path to Exiles and a Wrath of God. There's some other stuff, you know? <laughs> and yeah. so, when I shuffle all 15 of them in, then I gotta go through my deck and be like, uh, wait. What do I take out? <laughs> yeah, sometimes you end up, you're like, you take out 15 cards and you're playing the deck and you're like, man, I did not see this Ancient Grudge here whenever I was taking cards out and I took two of them out and left one in. And now I have this Ancient Grudge in my deck that uh, my opponent does not have any artifacts. Right. Uh, so you gotta be yeah, careful when I'll you're doing do that kind of like thing. That. But that's my fault. That's nothing to do with the strategy. That's my fault for not knowing my cards. <laughs> <laughs> and I think... That's just about tapped all of my knowledge about sideboarding. Donovan, do you have anything else you want to add? No, I don't think so. I think I've uh, sided it all in. All right, cool. I think that sideboarding is, like I said, one of the most important things that you can learn to be good at for playing competitive magic. And it's one of those things that if you get good at building sideboards and evaluating games to decide what to side in and stuff like that, that's somewhere where you can pick up some percentage points in a matchup that you would typically lose, or against a player who may be better than you. Like, you can be like, okay, but I've got them on sideboarded games. Yeah. Because I have a sideboard plan against them. Yeah, that's why playing Jund against Tron, I'm like, alright, we're building a sideboard for Jund, and we're just like, okay, what 15 cards can I play against Tron and play against other decks? That's what we need to find. <laughs> sure. We need a lot of help. All right. Well, I think if that's our sideboarding advice, before we take off, I think that we had a judge call something about my undoing. <laughs> I can see why you might think that. Judge. I just wanted to talk about a couple of cards that a lot of players don't seem to really understand what the cards do. Sure. And I just thought it was something that we could talk about here. And they're not really doing stuff in the same way as each other. They just, they both have this kind of like clause about doing a different thing in different situations. Okay. First one was Approach of the Second Sun. And what it says is, if Approach of the Second Sun was cast from your hand and you've cast another spell named approach of the second sun this game you win the game otherwise put approach of the second sun into its owner's library seventh from the top and you gain seven life what a lot of players find this confusing is this like kind of if clause on this card they like read this as like some kind of cast trigger especially because it says the word cast in it but it's just saying like this card has this effect if you've cast this other card this game and it has this effect if you haven't cast the other card this game Mm -hmm. and so it is just the spell that resolves. Like, it doesn't do something 
like if somebody counters it, that effect doesn't still happen, you know? And then we have this whole issue of people going like, because the first copy of the spell doesn't have to have resolved. It just says that if you've cast another copy of Approach of the Second Son this game. Sure. And so people are like, oh, like if you counter it, it doesn't matter. I still win. It's like, no, no, no. If I counter the other one, it doesn't matter. You still win. But if I counter this one, you don't. Right. People get confused about that. And it's just basically you just pretend that this card says... It says either you win the game or you gain seven life and put Approach of the Second Sun into your library sevens from the top. Yeah, and instead of you choosing, it, the mode is chosen by what's happened already this game, right. you know, is kind of how you treat it. And so it's not like any kind of cast trigger and like it doesn't happen no matter what. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like a modal spell where the modes are chosen by the game instead of you. Mm-hmm. And then another one that I want to talk about that's kind of a similar way is Days Undoing. That's a blue sorcery right yes which references whether or not you cast it on your turn which is what's confusing for people it's a blue and two to sorcery and then it says each player shuffles their hand and graveyard into their library then draws seven cards if it's your turn in the turn okay and just i think a lot of people just don't remember that if it's your turn because this card's a sorcery so they just assume that it's always going to be cast on your turn so it only has that it's just always ends the turn Right. And what really a lot of people get wrong is they'll be looking like, oh man, I'm looking for cards that shuffle graveyards into their deck and hands and graveyards into the deck and draw seven cards. Like, oh, Days Undoing. And they're like, oh, but that exiles itself. I was like, well, you already just bought like a ley line of anticipation from me and like all these other cards to let you play your sorceries at instant speed. Like, you, you can just play it on your opponent's turn. No, no, but it exiles itself. It says it in the text. It's like, no, it doesn't actually. And what confuses them is the fact that if you in, if a spell ends the turn, that spell is still on the stack while it's doing this, and any spells on the stack when the turn ends get put in exile. Right. And so frequently when you cast Days Undoing, it ends up in exile, but Mm -hmm. that's not actually true if you don't do it on your turn. Okay. Yeah. And so I think a lot of people forget that it doesn't just always end the turn, and then also they don't realize that this card doesn't actually actively exile itself. It just kind of accidentally exiles itself frequently. (laughs) That's neat. You know, I I guess if I had ever had to resolve a day's undoing, I would be aware of that. But I was sitting there while you were describing, I was like, why would they think it exiles itself? It doesn't. Yeah, it's like, oh, right. Because if it ends a turn while it's on the stack, then it ends up in exile. Yeah, like, so like cards like Time Stop and Discontinuity and stuff are going to exile themselves every time, even though they don't actually say to. Because the fact that they do effectively exiles themselves because while it's resolving ending the turn which includes exile all spells and abilities from the stack right well that's neat yeah wasn't anything too complicated today i just was gonna go over a couple cards that i frequently see players playing wrong i think that's valuable this is a read the cards kind of deal today <laughs> sure i think part of the uh confusion on approach to the second sun is i i see this all the time is people seem to think if is a trigger word yeah but it's not they win whenever or at all triggers say one of those things. Yeah. And there's spells that trigger ability. Mm-hmm. Hypothesizal, right? I don't know. What is that one? It says draw two cards, then you may t- discard a non-land card. When you do, Hypothesizal deals four damage to target creature, which is that win right. statement, you know? Yep. And so if this card says draw two cards and then discard a non-land card, then you may discard a non-land card. Then it has this triggered ability in the spell that says, like, mm-hmm. when you do that... It deals four damage to target creature. Right. So, like, that's a triggered ability on an instant. Yeah, because it says win. Right. But, like, the word if it is not a trigger. Correct. I have seen that come up several times before. Is people like, 
oh, this trigger. I'm like, that, that's not a trigger. Mm-hmm. So I think that's valuable. I don't really have anything to add to it. I will say that I said this must have been my undoing, not because I have any trouble with either of these cards. Because Donovan, you're, you're the second son. Yeah, but Donovan put into the show notes approach of the second day's undoing, and I am the second day. Yeah, actually, you know what? I come from a long line of days. I'm nowhere near the second one. <laughs> well, you're the second best. You know, me than you. Uh, you know what? I don't think I can even aspire to that <laughs> title. At playing standard magic. Perhaps. But I think it's good to get some advice on how difficult cards work. Dom, we don't have any new feedback for this week, so I think that pretty much does it. Because we're doing a perfect job. Yeah. No one can complain or critique us in any way. No notes, right? Yep. All right, but if anyone wants to get in touch with you, you know, just to congratulate you on the perfection, Dom, then where can people find Oh, yeah, you can. I'm, I'm up at Boardwalk these days from noon to 8 p.m. a lot of times in uh, North Dallas, Texas. And then uh, you can also find me on the Twitters at day underscore Donovan. And generally, at least once a month, I'll get on Twitch and stream my Twitch thing of me getting to trying to get to Mythic as something interesting to do on Twitch. So with uh, my uh, thing at twitch.tv slash dday underscore 99. Is there anything that on Twitch? I don't know how Twitch works. Nope. I think you actually got it right this time. What? And if anyone wants to hear more from me, I'm Duncan. You can find me at engine on Twitter. Or you could listen to our other podcast that we do. It's called The List. Ooh, what, what do All we do the that? games eventually. We talk about video games. Oh, man. I with, love doing uh, that. myself and our brother Daniel. Oh, that sounds like not me. Oh, when I say we, I mean the Engine Within Network, oh, okay. which you can find over at enginewithin.com. And you can check out our T Public store from links there or you know, tpublic.com slash user slash enginewithin. Or best of all, you can visit our patreon.com slash enginewithin. Yeah, if you want to give us more money and get less things. Not less things. Oh. Different things. Different things. Oh, okay. Yeah, like you mean compared to T Public? Yeah. Like T Public, you get more like physical things. But if you join a Patreon, you get to like the Discord, and Donovan gives free stuff away there sometimes. Anyway, that's all for me. Austin Lasagna. Don't get me on later days. Can you hear me over this lawnmower? Uh, I can hear you okay. It's just sometimes you cut out when the lawnmower is going by. Yeah, because my noise noise cancellation, I think, tries to cancel out the lawnmower and it just gets everything. Right. That's always the thing whenever you're um, playing Jund and you're just like, all right, fetch, shock, thought seize. Oh, uh, I guess I'll take the Boros charm.